My name is Andrew Bustamante, and this is Everyday Espionage. Jihee is a trained operational targeter by trade. She built her reputation at CIA by finding people that did not want to be found and knowing them better than they knew themselves. She and other like her are tools, weapons, in the U.S. intelligence community arsenal. And while everyone likes the idea of being a trained weapon, nobody is ever really comfortable being seen as a tool because tools are designed to serve only one purpose, and they can be replaced. If they break, if they get lost, or if they are simply forgotten, every one of us knows what it feels like to be replaceable. And whether you work at CIA or the local 7-Eleven, you have to balance your life choices against the idea that any one of us could one day be replaced. We could one day be forgotten. Tell us about emergency mode. <laughs> I, I know emergency mode very well. Yeah. But help help everybody listening understand what is this term that you have deemed emergency mode and how has it played out in our life? So even though I have anxiety, my anxiety is generally triggered by um, having a long lead up to something. So I have a, a lot of time to anticipate all the things that could possibly go wrong and I get very anxious about them. Um, until I get to the other side and things work out and then uh, anxiety dissipates. Emergency mode is this very interesting mode I have where I am in the moment and I need to get something done. It could be my child is injured. I had a roommate one time whose cat clawed her arm pretty badly. Just anything that my brain clicks into this emergency mode, I need to take care of this right now. And it doesn't matter anything else that's going on. I get it done. So, I mean, I could be sick. I could be having an anxiety attack. I could be starving. I could have just been woken up after a few nights of no sleep. I am on the ball. So it's this very interesting, very powerful mode that is generally short-lived just to deal with an emergency. That's why I call it emergency mode. Um, But it's really powerful. So I know that if I need to kick into gear, I will. It's interesting to me because it's so useful to me, not because I like to trigger emergency mode, because you turn into a different person altogether in emergency mode. Somehow, all of the self-reflection that that you do, even moment to moment, where you're questioning whether or not you could make something more efficient, or maybe something could be done better, or you want to erase and restart your whole plan again, that's like, that's normal Jihee, day-to-day I'm just a spouse watching you be kind of crazy, like every spouse watches their spouse be crazy. <laughs> but emergency mode is when you you actually turn into the James Bond that you said you aren't. I have seen you take care of me in emergencies where my well-being, my life is threatened by a terrorist attack, by some sort of uh, bloodborne illness that I contracted, whatever it is, you flip into this mode and you are just... A trained professional, Mm -hmm. which is fascinating to me because I actually went through medic school. I actually went through field triage. I learned how to do this stuff by the book. You didn't go through those training courses. 
but you have that mode. You, I mean, don't get me wrong, I don't want you to fashion a splint or try to penetrate my trachea or anything, but you know how to take care of me, you know how to take care of our kids, you know how to take care of your parents, and you will make anything work in any country, in any environment. It's just a powerful mode, mm-hmm. and you have that. Do you know where that comes from? Do you remember the first time it kicked into gear? Are your parents like that? Where did you learn this? I have no idea. where it comes from I just I know that I am it's interesting because obviously these abilities are in me but not out all the time but I am focused and decisive in emergency mode and what's funny when you're talking about the medical training it's you know that I like to learn period I love to learn all kinds of random things um you know things that I feel a little ashamed of spending my time learning because I think to myself, when am I ever going to use this? <laughs> I think that to myself. <laughs> when are you ever going to use this? Why are you learning this yes, right now? Like, I am currently learning about Einstein's special theory of relativity. Why am I studying physics right now? I will not use this. But it doesn't matter. I love to learn. But I feel like in emergency mode, my random learning suddenly comes into play because I am so focused and so decisive that all of my, for example, random medical knowledge will suddenly pop into my head and I will know exactly what to do. And I have yet to make a mistake in emergency mode. It just flows. That's interesting. And then when the flow is over... Well, then I have to go, I need a seat, I need you a crash. break. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and you crash hard. It's, it's yes. really interesting because it is extremely taxing on you. Yes. And when I think back to how our conversation started about your interview process with the agency... I can't help but wonder how much their barrage of testing was able to identify that you have that inside you because they picked you to deploy with me over other people that could deploy. And when we deployed, they used us as a team. True. They knew more about what we were capable of than what we knew we were capable of. And I found that strangely encouraging when it was just you and me and very disheartening when we started having children. Because now all of a sudden I felt like we were being used, right? Mm-hmm. We, were, we were part of an organization that trained us to manipulate others. And then as I gained my own world experience and my own life experience, I started realizing that we were also a tool that, that was available to be manipulated by the organization itself. When we talked to Jackal, Edie Jackal, and we've had Jackal over for lunch and for dinners and he's played with the kids, mm-hmm. we've, we have seen firsthand how to this day he still realizes not that he can do anything about it but he realizes how he became this cleanup person this tool because they found his vulnerabilities they knew his motivations they were able to leverage and manipulate his needs to get him to do what other people either wouldn't do or couldn't do and how time and time again he found himself on mission wondering what the hell am I doing here why am I putting my son's lives at risk and my wife's life at risk. And why am I doing this? Because this person came to me and said, we need someone to do the impossible. And I, and I couldn't resist. We've seen that in Jackal. I have certainly seen that myself as I look back at our career on the agency. When you look back at our career at the agency, do you, do you attribute any manipulation, any mal intent in how they use their resources or 
does your social work kinder, gentler side come out and you see unicorns and rainbows? (laughs) I see right in the center there. It's a fair opinion. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, political Jihee. But no, Um, go ahead. So my experience over the course of my time was that we worked in an agency where... Everybody learns the same manipulation skills. Everybody learns what makes people tick and how to use that. And it's something that they use day to day in their job. So I think it's just very natural for people to start using those skills, not just on people they're trying to recruit, but on each other. And I think as we went on in our careers and we became more proficient in our jobs, we started to see that more and more because one of the biggest things I remember towards the end was people kind of fighting for our skills so you know we were getting great reviews we wanted to work in certain areas but we were told no we need you in these other areas but they would use language to boost your ego and to convince you that we really need you here and it's okay and you'll get another chance in the future and just do this thing for us right now is that right or wrong? It's a gray area, yeah. you know, needs of the service. So I think for us, I think for you in particular, it made it, it wasn't a good feeling to feel like you didn't have the freedom to make your own decisions and own choices. But for everybody who's at the agency still, you know, for people who make their careers out of the agency, I think a lot of them, you know, they accept the fact that that's the way it works. You know, it's interesting. Now that we're in private intelligence... And we work on different contracts with former intelligence officers. And not just U.S. intelligence officers either. We've talked to Canadian intelligence. We've talked to Australian intelligence, Jordanian intelligence, uh, Saudi intelligence, mm-hmm. uh, Brazilian intelligence. When we talk to intelligence officers from around the world, what I find is that the retired CIA officers that we encounter especially always seem to have a very clear understanding of the point in their career where they realize they had to play that game. Yes. Where they realize that they had to play this game of give and take inside of their own career progression in order to not get put essentially in the penalty box, to not get railroaded or put into some corner where you were never going to do anything fun again. They had to learn how to how to stay in bounds. And as they retired, some of them who retired right away at the earliest possible moment, you know, they come out and they were like, yeah, I decided to play the game because I knew I was going to retire as early as possible and just get out of that world. And then there are others who wanted to climb that ladder. And as you go up the ladder, you're kind of going up a pyramid. So there's fewer and fewer people to compete against, but there's also fewer and fewer opportunities to continue going up. So they have to learn how to master this game of essentially fighting with each other without ever looking like they're fighting with one another. And it was, it was a difficult game for me to be part of, for sure. And what I found was interesting with you is you just never played. Correct. That's why it didn't bother me. <laughs> so you can be a manager. I will stay in my cubicle. There is a myth out there that the only way to win is to master the game whether that's the game of life or some political game in the office or even the networking game in business. But Jihee's success has proven that there is a second way to win. 
you can simply choose not to play in the game at all. During our time with CIA, we were both equally talented, equally successful, equally skilled, but the reason that espionage shaped us wasn't because of the secrets we learned, it was because of the truths that we discovered. When you find yourself in the middle of a game, a game for power or control, attention or wealth, it is easy to mistake the winner as the person who wins the prize at the end. But in fact, the one who takes home the prize is still trapped in the game. And to prove how true that is, just consider the professional sports industry. Who is it that makes more money? The professional athlete? The one that wins the VIP trophy? Or is it the person that controls the athlete's contract? That is Everyday Espionage. Everyday Espionage is dedicated to one thing, educating everyday people. I know that not everyone will listen, but those who listen will learn. If you learned something new today, click subscribe, review, and share the podcast with a friend. Find me on social media at Everyday Spy or on my website, everydayspy.com. If you are up for a special challenge, visit everydayspy.com forward slash operations and join me for an authentic spy training mission. And above all else, remember that knowledge is freedom.